welcome to the Hear K Tell podcast. I am your host, Christina Alexander. And my guest today, trust me, folks, you're going to want to hear her story. This episode is going to focus on how resilience can and is your main ingredient to success when transitioning from sport to career. We'll also talk about the books that can and assist in your transition and a relatable story of someone who has and continues to succeed in her own lane by delivering a powerful message. So just a little bit about my guest, a notable UC, UCLA alum, let me get that right, the number five draft pick in the 2006 WNBA draft, a transformational coach, and currently a Nike footwear analyst. My guest is also the author of two books, When the Buzzer Sounds, and the adventures of Camille, the comeback kid. And she's also impacting others by leveraging effective sports strategies around resiliency to unlock peak performance daily for athletes, corporate, educational, and individuals. Please welcome Lisa Willis. What's going on, Lisa? What's good? Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. This is, I want to tell folks that when I get guests to come on to the show, it's not like a, it's not like folks are beating down my door. So I'm always grateful and humble when folks decide to come on this platform and to just do what they do best, which is share a relatable story. So resilience is your thing. But before we dig deeper and dive all the way in into resilience, you were a high school and college standout, as well as the number five pick in the 2006 WNBA draft. Which transition had the greatest impact on how you show up today as a mental performance and executive coach? Yeah, that's a great question. And that was tough because I learned the most in college, but my transition to the W was the toughest and I learned the most there. So in college, I was dealing with a lot of emotions and, you know, trying to process (laughs) what, I mean, the business of college sports and, you know, um, how my coach was interacting with me and engaging with me as a player versus now I'm, I'm your player as a recruit versus now being on the team. But the actual transition, the actual level up, oh, it was a W. The W, I mean, it was, it was tough because I, I had to learn, like, I'm a pro now. There's not a whole, whole, whole lot of development at the pro level. Now there's more, but some of it is checking a box and others it's like, okay, like after you're at this point, now we can fine tune some things. But I remember going to, um, getting drafted to the Sparks and we're in training camp. This might be the second week of training camp. And I asked the coach, uh, it was Jelly Bean. It was Kobe's dad at the time. So I asked the coach, and I'm like, hey, like, you know, what What could I do to get better? Like, what do you need from me? Like these, that was a, a amateur question in the sense that I'm, it's a question that not a professional would ask. It's a question that an amateur would ask. And so he's like, you're a pro now. Don't be a robot. You're a pro. That was the most unhelpful thing. <laughs> like that was so not helpful. Like you're a pro now. That was That was like him saying, you got to figure it out. And so going from being a player, being one of 15 on a team where they, the coach sets up time to have 
team bonding and team building. You're always singing Kumbaya. You're eating your meals together. Like you're supposed to care about each other to now we're fighting for healthcare. Like we're fighting for status because at that time people weren't losing their scholarships, but they were getting cut and no longer having a job, which now impacts your livelihood, you know? And then as far as like having a relationship with your team, no, it's work. So if you want to go out for drinks or dinner with your coworkers after work, then you do. And so just that whole concept of, um, at one at at one point it was family then the next point it was dog eat dog it was like dang now i will say though the great the great teams the championship teams well they're they're family but it's still dog eat dog so i think like coming into my own and you know like my dad would always talk to me about not having the killer instinct and i'm like Bro, I'm out here getting buckets. I'm doing my thing. What do you mean I don't have the killer instinct? But when I get to the sparks, it's like, yo, if you have it, you better find it because it's it's tough. Like, this is your job. It's not just, you know, your scholarship. Do you feel like, and obviously, you know, you being the number five pick in the 2006, the W has grown leaps and bounds. And, and although we still have work to do do you feel like young ladies now would be getting that same response you think like figure it out yeah because like i have a i have a specific player in mind that i'm really interested to see what it looks like and how they welcome her to the WNBA. but i remember um my favorite player was wadi wadi mabika and so once I got drafted to the Sparks, I'm like, yo, I'll be hooping with Wadi. Uh, and so we're in practice. And, I, oh, I hope she don't see this. We're in practice. And, uh, you know, I'm Ding her up because I'm like, that was like my thing. So I was known for being a good, a good shooter. But everybody could score. So if you're really nice, then score on me. So I'm coming in there like Ding her up. And I think I got a pretty good stop. But the play didn't actually stop because she lowered her her shoulder right into my stomach. And I go flying. There's no call at all. It's just like, get up. You know she hit the shot. So it's just like, get up, run back, like, let's go. And so, like, I feel like that is kind of my idea of welcoming people to the W. Catch did it to, uh, to me. Catch did it to me, too, in a game. So it's like there's there's a component of figuring it out yourself, but there's a little bit of hand-holding sometimes. I think we all have a story. And just to, I feel you on that because I always tell this story about Teaspoon. We work it out in the gym and, you know, I'm like, ooh, you know, this is a point guard. This is, you know, Teaspoon is loved by everybody. Like just, just her as a person and as a player. And she checked it up talking about, let's go rookie. And I'm looking at her like, rookie? I'm from New York. Like, what? We don't, what you talk about? <laughs> and like you said, she hit me with that chicken wing and looked at me and told me, welcome to the league. I knew then, you got to figure this thing out. So I, I, I can relate with you about how that, you know, that progression starts and then how it continues to progress after that. So then is it safe to say, 
what your superpower was because you know that's my next question like what it what was and what is your superpower yeah so i would say i had three superpowers and the last one is probably going to be the biggest but i had three superpowers grit desire and favor grit desire and favor and we'll start with grit like i wasn't going to be denied like i was dealing with my own my own health stuff like i had something called uh vasovagal syncope where just bottom line is i would pass out so i got these people looking at me like i'm soft i even got the name buttercup mad disrespectful because like really so like just not not giving up on myself and just persevering like that's the grit but the desire like i loved basketball like if you don't have that love, like because my basketball, my love went beyond the game and the lights. It was like in the preparation. It was like me being in the gym by myself, envisioning like wetting up somebody. Like I'm working on being more efficient. I'm working on getting them to get out their stance. Just like it was the details that I just I just craved and it was always my desire to get better at the small stuff because my swag was like kind of a nonchalant swag so I'm gonna act like I've been here before like kids these days or players these days I sound old players these days they they do a move and then when they celebrate it makes me think oh you just as surprised as me <laughs> but back then when I did it I was just like yeah this is what I do I'm not gonna get too excited because I do this you know, but that was that was a part of just my desire to just be better and then favor. I'm sure there's better people out there before me, but it was God's favor and it was his plan for my life. And so, you know, with God, you could do you could do whatever. And because I believe that that was a superpower of mine. Whew, you just dropped the nugget right there. Grit, desire and favor. Now when we talk about your WNBA career, what lessons do you believe set you up for the most success and kind of piggybacking off of what you just shared with us with the grit, desire, and favor? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is something that I've taken with me from place to place, but even after, you know, jelly bean, jelly bean telling me like, you're a pro now as unhelpful as that was, the um, GM, Penny Toller, phenomenal point guard, phenomenal GM, she told me something that sticks with me till to, to this day, but also it helped me with my transition and my time in the league. And it was dance with the partner that brought you to the dance. And what that meant for me was, look, this is what you do. This is how you got here. So don't try to start posting people up now because that's that's not what got you here and so that let me know okay there's a reason i'm here and just do that and i actually did that when i got traded to the new york liberty um the first game i got traded and played a game the next day i didn't know any of the plays so i danced with the person that got me to the to that point wait i think i I heard the story i think i heard yeah I had six threes because I didn't know what else. Listen, I felt like if you're passing it to me, you obviously want me to shoot it. So I let that thing fly because (laughs) like that's what got me there. You brought me here for that reason. 
Mm, I love it. Now, if you had to sum up your WNBA and overseas overseas career into three words. Now, I don't know if you want to repeat the grit, desire, and favor, but I almost want to ask you to give us three more. What would it be? Yeah, so summing up my, this is going to surprise you. <laughs> this is absolutely going to surprise you. But summing up my WNBA and overseas experience in three words, I would say disappointment educational and shooter yeah i'm, I'm like, surprised elaborate on that yeah like i mean i played four years in the w and i feel like you know that was god saying this is just enough time for you to get the platform to do what else i need you to do in your life but the reality is that i wasn't an all-star like the year that i led the w in three-point shooting i didn't play a whole lot like it was just it was just like underwhelming to me. And then educational, I learned a lot. I mean, <laughs> man, I learned a lot about the business of basketball, about using it um, to do other things, about relationship building overseas was the culture. It was about being away from home, but still like, I mean, even, man, like it was so educational in a lot of ways. And then um, the last one was shooter. I was in a whole box. Like by the time I got to the WNBA, like I just came off of a season in college where I was almost unguardable because no matter what you tried to stop, I had something else for it. Then I get to the W and it's like, shoot, the end. They made me like a Reggie Miller when I could have been like a Steph Curry. And it's like, dude, like, so that was, it, it just was, it just was underwhelming. Man, like I, I totally, I totally feel you. Like if the, if the question was reversed and I was telling the story, I, I would probably say the same thing. And I think maybe that just speaks to who we are as people knowing that our impact reaches greater than 94 feet. And obviously it does because you you're doing amazing things now, but it's interesting that you're able to share that with us. And I appreciate you being transparent because I think it kind of pivots into who you are now, what you do, and as a best-selling author, you have two books. And I want you to talk a little bit about what the book is, who it's for, and why you felt it needed to be written. Share with us. Yeah, absolutely. So the first book is called When the Buzzer Sounds, and that that is my baby. Um, I wrote that book because it, it's almost like about self-love. Like I have this whole idea about just being already enough, you know, and, and let me go back real quick. This is what was hard about writing the book because I was in a, 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 a writing boot camp, and they're like, you have to get really specific with your audience. And I'm like, but what I'm talking about is for everybody. You know, it's not just for basketball players. Self-love is self-love, self-discovery, and um, uh, performance. Everybody deals with that on or off or on and off the court and the playing field. And so um, that was really difficult. But in writing this book about self-love, um, it's like, I need people to understand you are enough for whatever you're about to go through, okay? Like, 
<laughs> change is free, but the transition is sold separately. Like everybody is going to encounter change, but we don't always bring our full selves with us. And after having what felt like from the inside an underwhelming WNBA career, I needed to make myself feel like I'm already enough. I needed to really believe that because I'm seeing my friends who are still in the league right now. Like, what? They're still in the league right now. And so with the book, as I as I talk about self-discovery um, and understanding your role versus your identity and being able to separate the two so that you could still love yourself and still feel good about yourself and still per perform high, even if you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, I felt like that was important because the way that I retired, that was not the way that I wanted to retire. Blowing out my ACL, MCL, and LCL, being left with the PCL, what is that? What, what is a PCL, you know? And so it's like my role changed overnight and I had to be able to transition and make, make myself realize like, hold on, because of all the things that you've done in the past on and off the court, like you're ready for the next chapter. You understand, you know, your value, you understand what, you know, and, and this took, this was a process, let's be clear. I didn't just transition like, oh, I'm Gucci. It wasn't like that. But, you know, this was really for me. And I knew that I wasn't the only person struggling with transition. I knew I wasn't the only person playing a different position now, not knowing, you know, if if my skills were going to get me to the to the next thing. And then when I, I would say the last thing this book is about is performance. Like, when you transition to something else, or even if you're reading this book and you're in season, you're still in your thing, you want to perform high. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you want to perform high. And when you understand, when you look within and see like, wait, let me take inventory of the things that make me who I am. That's how you perform high. Like you have a job description, but then I make the job. You gave me a description, but I'm the one that's going to go in there, put myself on it and make it better and perform higher. And so, uh, and that's why the book is actually used in various settings. It's not just about athletics. It's used in schools. It's used by just individuals and it's used in corporate America because there's this internal drive that we need that can only be started by, you know, first seeing and understanding who we are. And just to let our listeners know, that book is available on Amazon. Thank you very much. If you can go to her website and purchase that, we will have all of that information in the bio. But talk talk to us about your second book as well, because I, I like this one. This is the one, when I met you, you had just completed. And so share with us about that one, too. Yeah, so that one is not out yet. I'm dropping that on Black Friday, but it's called Camille the Comeback Kid, and the cool thing about that is it's based on a true story. Now there's some, I, I did use my uh, literary authority for some of the characters, but essentially it's about when I was 11 years old, really good basketball player, but I tried out for this club team and I left the gym crying. <clears throat> Where the literary authority comes in is a conversation on the way home <laughs> from the gym. Uh, 
I made it so that my dad said some things that he should have said, not what he actually said, but it's a way for me to teach kids about, about resilience. Um, like today, like I think resilience is something that kids should learn along with intentionally learn because I think we're all resilient. We just have different levels, but I think kids should intentionally learn about resilience when they're learning multiplication, multiplication and science. And so, um, the graphics are pretty amazing. And um, you know how some people have a kid and that's their baby, but then they have a new kid. And I don't want when the buzzer sounds to start feeling like, like I just kicked them to the curb, but this is my new baby. And I'm so excited to share it with the world. Now, did I let the cat out the bag? Cause Black Friday's not here yet, but it will be. So folks, if yeah. you're listening, <laughs> just put that on your calendar. So you've already kind of shared with us the importance of who you've become, what you continue to do, what you what gifts you continue to share with the world. You focus on resilience when delivering powerful messages in public speaking settings. And folks, I've had the privilege of listening to a lot of the things that Lisa has done. Talk to talk to us of why do you focus on resilience and is that one of your superpowers now? Like do you want to add that? I mean, absolutely, resilience is my superpower. Um, and I talk about it because I haven't been the coach's favorite since I was like 10 years old. Like shortly after winning a city, state, national championship, being named the California Player of the Year, committing to UCLA, I tore my ACL. When I got to UCLA, I had to deal with the dynamics of that coach. And I don't think, I feel like we were kind of like oil and water. You know, we never had any arguments. I was a very like, yes, ma'am kind of person, like look you in your eyes. Um, you know, dealing with just being slept on. I feel like I've been slept on my whole life. Like with, with living a life where adversity and challenges were not scarce, you gotta be resilient. I was ineligible in the eighth grade. Here I am being ranked top three in the country and also ineligible to play at a local middle school game. Like with all of these different challenges and barriers, like I had to figure it out. I had to recover quickly better, like bottom line. And so I just feel like as soon as I was able to, because at the time I didn't know that, oh, I'm resilient. Like, I didn't know that. But just with so many opportunities to practice being resilient, I actually got good at it. And I changed my mindset around resiliency because I had a lot of experience coming out better than I was before. Not even just recovering, not even just bouncing back, but bouncing forward. Not, th- not striving or not surviving, but I was able to thrive after like, terrible situations, situations where I know that it would take people out. When I got traded from the Sparks to the Liberty, that was like devastating because it makes you feel like, like you don't think about the fact that you still have a job and like they just moved your desk. No, you're thinking like, oh, they don't want me no more. You know, and that was, that was a challenge for me, you know, but after just going to the Liberty and then having an opportunity to get more playing time, although not the playing time I wanted, 
but to get more playing time, to lead the WNBA, to build relationships on and off the court. Like, I mean, my mindset has helped me to get where I'm at right now. And it's primarily because of resilience and again, God's favor. Certainly, certainly. So I want you to unpack the statement with that information you just shared with us. Coaching for a higher performance, what does that mean to you today? And how has that evolved over the years for you as you continue to thrive in your transition from sport to career? Yeah, so let me ask you this. Do you believe that basketball, for instance, is 80% mental, 20% physical, somewhere around there? You asking a point guard, so I'm going to tell you absolutely. I mean, (laughs) exactly. Okay, you're the leader. And do you remember being a kid and saying, I don't feel good? Or maybe have a kid, because not all people were afforded the opportunity to say, I don't feel good and stay in the bed. But do you know how people say those things? And so, I mean, I guess what I do is I help people get clarity, get a plan, and get to work on the things that will develop their mindset and nurture their emotions. Because with those things, if those two things are in check, your mindset and your heart set, your skill set, no matter what you're doing, your performance, your output is going to be better. It's going to be, it has to be better. And so when I, when I unpack that, like at one point I was a basketball trainer, but when I talk about, you know, higher performance, everything that I'm talking about is done on the inside so that the outside looks better. Ooh, ooh. When I say the nugget drop, folks, if I had like a bah, 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 I would do that just now. Please go back and rewind that. Okay. So for someone that has been able to transition successfully from sport to career, playing in the W, coaching in the NBA and the G League, currently, you know, an analyst, footwear analyst at Nike, and you are currently a transformational coach impacting executives and corporate spaces what action steps would you advise our listeners to execute today to tap into their own resilience? Because I think this is this is important. When we hear stories and we listen to folks and we watch folks, the question always, what do I do now for myself? Tell us. Yeah. That's a that's a loaded question. And I do whole workshops on it. So we're gonna give you the cliff notes. But the first step is check the story. Like you gotta check the story that you're telling yourself. Because here's the thing, sometimes we don't even know what the actual challenge is. There's a lot of reasons why we're checking the story. Sometimes, like let's say you just you just broke up with your partner. Your partner left you, okay? For some people, the adversity is you're now single and you don't like to be alone. Well, you need to know if that's the case so you can build upon that. For other people, it's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of happy that you're gone, but now who's going to pay half of this mortgage? Like, listen, you need to know like what the adversity is for starters and then talk with facts. Because if it's like, let's say it's the latter and you know now you don't know how you're going to pay the rent. Now I feel like, dang, like I hope I don't have to move out. 
dang, like what? Like when your emotions get like super duper involved, now you can't even think strategically. And I'm not saying like when you're being resilient, I'm not saying that there's no space for emotions. You have to deal with emotions because if you sweep them under the rug, you'll get tripped up on them, speaking from experience. But you don't get to stay there forever. So what are you telling yourself? Start with that and then proceed. Have a plan, create a plan, think about the plan, and then just start moving towards that. And as you're moving towards that, you need to look for the opportunities. Because the worst thing is for there to be help and support for you outside and you don't even see it because you're you're moping and you're just you're just moseying on through life like no if you look for something you will see it i remember not gonna get super spiritual on you but i remember when i was um it was about four years ago and i was doing this devotional in the month of november and so it was completely focused on thanksgiving and or, or thankfulness and it challenged me to start seeing things that I could be thankful for. And when I was looking for things to be thankful for, I saw things that I could be thankful for. When I was looking for ways that God was showing up in my life, I saw ample ways that God was showing up in my life. And that's the same thing with resiliency. If you're looking for opportunities, because that's when you that's when you bounce forward. That's when you come, if you're trying to recover quickly better, that's where you get better is in the opportunities. And then the next thing is don't start feeling bad for yourself once that opportunity does come as if you don't belong, as if you don't deserve it. Like sometimes it's like, dang, because I did this, I don't even know if I should be able to to handle this amazing thing that's now coming. But it's like, well, man, how long are you going to punish yourself for it? But the emotional side of resiliency is a whole thing. And we start to be hard on ourselves. One thing my sister tells me is you need to be nice to my baby sister. You need to be nice to yourself. And then the last thing is just trust that you grew in the process. Like because you're going to need to be resilient later because there's always going to be something. So trust the process of resiliency and um, just know like, okay. I conquered this one. This got me closer to being an even more resilient person and I'll be ready for the next one. So that was long, but listen, I just did a workshop. You did for free. So therefore I'm going (laughs) to need folks to get into the bio and get you a real session. Okay. So then what is the tagline for your next impact speech as our listeners take away from this episode? Ah, Tagline for the next impact speech. I would say already enough, already enough, because one thing that I like to, to sh- I don't even want to, I don't want to say preach, and I don't want to say teach, but I guess remind people and illuminate is that everything that you need for what's next for you is already inside of you. Now, what somebody else has, what somebody else needs for what's next for them, that might not be in you. <laughs> That's not your business. But as it relates to what's next for you and where you are, you already are enough. You already have everything inside of you. And if you just take a look at where you've been, how you've done it, your experiences, and not really compare yourself to anybody else, because that's the thief of joy. If you're just looking at and cheering for who you are and who you've been, 
you will see that you're already enough for great things, not for survival, but for thriving. That's the mic drop, ladies and gentlemen. Total mic drop. <laughs> I appreciate you, Lisa. Join us next week. I'm telling you folks, every Wednesday, we've got a new episode, new guests, new relatable story, and the nuggets will be pouring. Lisa, again, we appreciate you having you on the Hear K-Tell podcast. Thank you so very much, sis. No problem. Thank you for having me.